Well, it's so great to have you here at our Christmas celebration. Before we get started, first of all, I want to say I noticed there are a few more people than normal in this section. I'm so glad y'all wanted to sit closer and get good shots of me today. Has nothing to do, I'm sure, with your kids coming out in a little bit. No, that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll do that at the end. Uh, Today, for a pastor, you need to know, this is going to sound bad, but it's true. I'm just being honest. For a pastor, the uh, two most difficult times to come up with something uh, to speak about are Christmas and Easter. And the reason is because you already know what's coming. There's no surprise. We can't change the story and spice it up. The Christmas story is the same story every year. You know what's coming. You've heard it a thousand times. So we're going to talk about the Christmas story in a few minutes, but maybe in a way different than you've thought of. But before I do, I want to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. It is the part of the Christmas story that people find so hard to believe, and at times people are just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Uh, we get so skeptical over this part of it. So I just want to go ahead and address it right off the bat. You know what I'm talking about. The idea of arranged marriage. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, we really are going to talk about that. You thought, oh, it's a virgin birth. No, we'll talk about that in a minute. Arranged marriage. Have you thought about this? When I was a kid, maybe that you didn't have this experience. Maybe it's just me. When I was a kid, I would always hear them talk about how in the first century, they practiced arranged marriage. And so Mary and Joseph, their parents had gotten together and basically decided... You two are going to marry, and they're young teenagers at the time. They didn't really have any say in it. And I just, as a kid, thought to myself, how wrong is that? How wrong is that? I would not want, and the reason I thought it was so wrong, I wouldn't want that to happen to me, you know? I was a teenager going, oh, no, oh, no. I don't want my parents picking out who I'm going to marry because you know how that works. I'll tell you, I've never had this conversation because I'd be too scared to hear the answer, but I'm guessing that my mother would have gone with their, you know, one of the daughters of their best friends because then the family all gets along and there's no arguments at Thanksgiving and Christmas around the schedule and it's just like one big happy loving family. So she'd have probably tried to arrange to marry me off to a daughter of one of their best friends, which would have been a bit awkward, I think. Uh, my dad, I'm guessing, and this maybe isn't your dad, but my dad would have probably gone a different route. He'd have probably said, no, no, dear. We're going to find somebody who's just loaded rich, and that's who they're marrying because then they won't come to us and ask for money. So he would have probably had a totally different angle on it. But when, when I begin to think about how that would have worked, if we practiced arranged marriages today like they did back then, at least in our country, oh, my goodness, it just makes me get all nervous. And yet Mary and Joseph, that was their experience. That, that was what they went through. And now here's the interesting thing about it all. I'm a little older now, and I uh, have my own kids. And I'm starting to realize arranged marriage is not such a bad idea. You can, I can kind of go with this because after all, I didn't have this perspective before. But now, and my kids have a long way to go, but I'm thinking, you know what? You two aren't going to have any marriage experience. I'm the one with the marriage experience. You don't know what red flags to look for. I know what red flags to look for. Maybe you should listen to me after all and just let us set this whole thing up. Matter of fact, I was thinking how cool it would be if somebody would create an app like Tinder only for the parents of single adults. How awesome would that be? Every single adult here is going, that would be horrible. That's a terrible idea. And I get it. I was single till I was 32, so I wouldn't have wanted that either. But now that I've got kids, I'm like, that would be really awesome. You could get on Tinder as a parent. You could start looking through the family profiles, the profile of the single adult. What do they do? How much money do they make? What's the net worth of that whole family? Hey, let me read about the medical history. Nobody thinks to check the medical history. I'm just telling you, you should check that stuff out. So you, you got to kind of look and get all that figured out, you know, and then if you're like, hey, this is a possibility, you just swipe right and you set up a coffee with the parents of that single adult and you bring baby pictures of your kid and they bring baby pictures of theirs you kind of look it's a terrible idea isn't it but if you're a parent you kind of get that you know 
the thing that's so weird is this, at least weird from our point of view. The thing that's so weird to us is this. There are still some places in the country where they practice arranged marriages. There are places where they still don't have a say. It's just the parents hook up and decide and say, okay, this is how it's going to be, and you're going to get married to that person. There are places where who you marry depends on the highest bidder. There are places on, I'm going to offer my son and your daughter, we're going to get married because we're creating a political treaty or we're trying to create peace between groups. And this happens in, in more than one or two countries in the world still. And as weird as it seems to us, if you talk to people in those countries, they're like, well, it just seems to work just fine. You know, We can't wrap our minds around that. But it did seem to work just fine in first century Israel. And Mary and Joseph, that's what they were experiencing. Their parents had decided, okay, you're going to get married to you, and you're going to get married to you. And they grew up in a little town called Nazareth, so they probably knew each other somewhat. But I bet they didn't know each other really well. And can you imagine the uncertainty and the mystery and the wonder and the doubt and the fear that Mary and Joseph both had to be feeling? is they were getting ready to marry what, in some respects, may have been a stranger. Can you imagine the questions that they had? Can you, Mary had to have been thinking, oh my goodness, is Joseph going to be happy with the choice his parents made? Is he going to be happy to be married to me? Am I, is he going to be a good husband? Is he going to treat me well? Because that was not a given in the first century. Women were often treated more like property than people. There had to be a lot of uncertainty and fear. Because this decision would literally shape the rest of her life, and she had zero say in it. Joseph, I'm sure, was feeling the same thing on the other side. He's thinking, was Mary going to be a great wife, and am I going to fall in love with her, and are we going to get along, and how is this relationship going to work? He would have had all the same questions as Mary. He would have been wondering, will she be able to have children, because having children was, a, was an important thing in that culture back then. Is she going to be able to have kids? Will she be a great mom? Will she survive having kids, because that didn't always happen. I mean, there was so much uncertainty and mystery and wonder and doubt and fear that both of them were feeling. As they were arranged to be married, and they had no clue what lay ahead of them. Meanwhile, they're living in a country, they're living at a time in the history of their Jewish people when the entire nation was swallowed up with uncertainty and mystery and wonder. They're living at a time when their country has lost their sovereignty and their autonomy and they're under Roman occupation. And to make matters worse, for the last 400 years, God has been silent. There has been no prophet. There has been no word from God sent whatsoever. And they're looking around going, it doesn't make sense. Where in the world is God in the middle of all this? Because the Jewish people believe something strongly. They believe that years and years and years before, God had shown up to their forefather Abraham And he had promised to have a unique special relationship with Abraham and his descendants, this nation. That he was going to form a great nation from Abraham's family. And then they believed God had promised Abraham this. That Abraham, not only will your family become a great nation, but whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. I'm always going to be there taking care of you. And yet they've had 400 years of silence. Now they're under Roman occupation. No sovereignty, no autonomy of their own. And the Romans keep cursing, and the Romans keep winning, and the Romans keep cursing, and the Romans keep winning. And these Jewish people are going, oh my goodness, where is God? He's not coming through. There was so much uncertainty and mystery and doubt and wonder and fear. And so you know what the Jewish people did? They clung to this promise that they had held on to for centuries. This promise that one day there would come a Messiah, a deliverer, a warrior, if you will 
who was going to free them in their minds from Roman occupation and restore them to their place of prominence as the most powerful, the most important, the most unique nation in the world. They were looking for a deliverer, not like Moses. They were looking for a deliverer more like Joshua, the kind of deliverer who had marched into the promised land initially and defeated with his armies all the Canaanites and taken possession of the land. They wanted that kind of deliverer, that kind of Messiah. They want another Joshua to come along. That's who they thought the Messiah was going to be, and he was going to overthrow Roman rule and restore to them their sovereignty, restore to them all their autonomy. They, these Jewish people believed in this so much that when these young married Jewish couples would have their first child, they would often, this was a common practice, they would often name their first son Yeshua. That was the Hebrew word that we translate Joshua. Yeshua is also the Hebrew word that translated into Greek and then English, we translate as Jesus. And so there were a lot of little Jesuses running around in Israel because all of these young married couples were hoping, we're just hoping, Maybe our son's going to be the deliverer. Maybe our son's going to be the warrior. Maybe our son's going to be the long-awaited Messiah. And so into that culture and that climate, Mary and Joseph, they're dealing with all this uncertainty and mystery and wonder personally. And then they're living in a nation that's full of all the mystery and uncertainty and wonder nationally. And with all of that going on in their world as young teenagers, Luke, who talked to Mary, and we believe got his account of what happened directly from Mary, the mother of Jesus. Luke tells us that there were new factors introduced into the uncertainty and the mystery and the wonder that Mary and Joseph had to deal with. Here's how Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1. He says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. Elizabeth was pregnant with a young son who eventually became known as John the Baptist. Okay? So in the sixth month, Luke says, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And Luke's being very generous here because it was more like a hole-in-the-wall place. But he says it's just this little town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel, Gabriel, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, the only time we use this terminology, highly favored, is around Christmas. You don't hear that otherwise, and none of us use that terminology otherwise. So let me just explain to you real quickly what this means. Another way to think of highly favored is to think of the concept or the idea of grace. What Gabriel was saying to Mary is, you are highly favored not because of anything you have done. Because to our knowledge, we have no record of anything extraordinary Mary had done. Gabriel's saying, Mary, you are highly favored because God has chosen you and he has chosen to be with you, not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. You are highly favored because God is extending and demonstrating grace to you. Grace is simply the unearned, undeserved, unearnable favor of God. That's what it is. So the angel began by saying, Mary, I just want you to know you're a recipient of some extraordinary grace from your heavenly father. You are highly favored, and I want you to know God is with you. But that did not help Mary at all. Luke's next statement is a bit of an understatement. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. That's a polite way of saying, Mary didn't know what highly favored meant. She didn't care. That favor didn't erase her fear. She was scared to death because there's an angel in front of her talking to her, and the Jewish people assume, just like you and I would assume, anytime something supernatural happens, if an angel shows up, it's probably bad news. 
So Mary is scared out of her mind. So Gabriel decides, okay, i got to try to help her understand what's going on here and why I'm here. So he circles back to this idea. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. I can tell you're scared. Don't be afraid. You have, I told you, I'm going to tell you again, you found favor with God. God's extending his grace to you. It's nothing to be afraid of. And then Gabriel says this, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus, Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the son, not a son. This is the one. He will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We read that and think, well, what in the world are you talking about? I'm telling you, Mary was a good Jewish girl, and like any good Jewish girl or or boy in those days, any good Jewish person knew exactly what this meant. This was a reference to the Messiah. This was a reference to the fact that the deliverer, the warrior, the Messiah, he's coming. This is what the Jewish people had been waiting on for centuries. This was code for, it's finally about to happen, Mary. Now, before we go on, I just want to point this one thing out. In this moment, there is a young teenage girl named Mary who has more clarity about the future of her people than all of the prophets from all of the centuries before. This young Jewish girl has more clarity about the future of her people than all of the kings who reigned over the years. Saul, David, Solomon, Josiah, you name a king. She had more clarity about the future of her people in this moment than any of them. She had more clarity about the future of her people than all the religious leaders, all the high priests throughout the history of the nation of Israel. And with all of that clarity, and with all of that information, and with all of that knowledge, you know how Mary responds? This is encouraging. She responds the exact same way you and I respond when we're faced with a similar decision. The only question on her mind is this. Well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Okay, all that Messiah talk, that was nice. Thanks for filling me in on that. But I'm not really concerned about that right now because that's about all the people out there. I'm concerned about me. You just said I'm going to be pregnant with the Messiah. And here's the thing, Gabriel. I know you're an angel and you probably don't get how this works, but somebody should have explained this to you. See, Joseph and I, this is an arranged marriage. We haven't even gotten to first base yet, much less all the way around the bases. There is no way there can be a pregnancy here. I'm a virgin. I'm a virgin. See, this is so encouraging because... With undeniable evidence, Mary has an angel in front of her looking at her saying the Messiah is coming. Not only do you have clarity about who he is, you have clarity about when he's going to be here nine months from now. You know exactly what's going to happen for the future of your people. You have information that people for centuries have died to know. In the midst of all of that undeniable evidence and information and clarity, Mary still had questions. She still had doubts. There was still uncertainty and mystery. She still wondered, well, how, well, how, well, how will this all work out? Now, here's why I point this out. Because all of us have had moments in our lives, and a lot of us are probably there right now, where we sense that maybe we should take a step in terms of following Jesus, but we just feel so much uncertainty and doubt and fear and wonder and mystery There's just so much unknown that we've said this. We've said, well, if God would just write it in the sky and make it clear to me. 
If God would just, you know, orchestrate the situation where there was no way I could second guess it. If God would just show me beyond a shadow of a doubt, then I would take that step. Then I would believe. Then I would trust. Then I would obey. And I'm just here to tell you, God could write it in the sky for you, and you would still have doubt and uncertainty and mystery. God couldn't have provided any more clarity than he did for Mary. An angel saying, here's who's coming, here's how he's coming, and here's when he's going to get here. And Mary still had questions, and she still had doubt, and she still had fear. See, for some of you, you've been exploring what it means to follow Jesus and trying to dig in and figure that out. But every time you get on the verge of going, I think I believe he is who he said he was. You find yourself embracing or re-embracing your fear and doubt and letting go or refusing to take your next step. You find yourself going, well, yeah, I think he's who he said he was, but how in the world could a baby be born of a virgin? Like, that doesn't make sense. Once I get an answer to that, then I'll follow. Well, how in the world can a man predict his own death and resurrection, die on a Roman cross, and then walk out of a tomb three days later under his own power? I mean, you, you help me figure that out, and then I'll follow. How in the world could a good God allow so much evil in the world? You help me get the answer to that, God, and then I'll believe. And I'm just here to tell you, that's not true. Because there's always going to be some uncertainty and some doubt. That clarity that you want will never be enough clarity. It will always come with some mystery. The same for those of us who follow Jesus. Some of you have been sensing God nudging you to take a step. I don't know what the step looks like, but it's a step to follow him and trust him in some way. And you keep letting your questions paralyze you. You keep thinking to yourself, well, once I know for sure, once there's a guarantee, once I see how it's all going to work out, and once I know where the money's coming from, or once I know how, that that relationship's going to you know, be repaired, once I know that that person's open to having the conversation, once I know, once I know, once I know, and you'll never know enough. No matter how much information you have, there are always gaps. No matter how many uh, clarifying moments you have, there is always questions. There's always uncertainty and mystery and wonder. And that's where Mary is, and she's got to figure out, what am I going to do with this? And if you read the next few verses, Luke tells us that Gabriel gives her an answer to how she could be a virgin and still be pregnant. But he doesn't give her a satisfying answer. He gives her a supernatural answer. He doesn't give her a scientific answer. He gives her a supernatural answer. Well, I'll tell you how, because God's doing it, Mary, and that's really all you need to know. And so Mary's left with all of this information, with all of this clarity, but still she's wrestling through all the uncertainty and the mystery, and she has to decide, am I going to choose to embrace this and trust? Am I going to choose to embrace this and believe in the midst of my uncertainty, in the midst of my mystery. And here's where she teaches us something extremely valuable. Mary's response in the middle of all the uncertainty and the mystery and the wonder and the doubt and the fear is to simply say this, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to, be, to me be fulfilled. This was her way of saying, I don't have answers to all this. This doesn't make sense. I appreciate all the information you gave. It still doesn't fill in all the gaps. I appreciate the clarity around the Messiah. It still doesn't address all the mystery I've got right now, all the fear and doubt that I'm carrying. But in the end, I'm willing to do whatever you want, including pick up my mystery and uncertainty and doubt and fear and just carry it with me and follow you. Now, this is encouraging because Mary models for us something that we all need to understand. She models for us the simple idea that you can believe and still wonder. 
You can believe and still have doubt. You can believe and still be uncertain. And if I could reverse it, you can wonder and still believe. You can have all kinds of doubt and uncertainty and mystery and fear and still choose in the midst of all of that to believe. As a matter of fact, if there were no uncertainty and mystery and wonder, there would be no need to believe. If there were no uncertainty, mystery, and wonder, there would be no need to have faith. Doubt is a prerequisite for faith. If you are 100% certain about something, there is no need for faith or trust or belief. Faith, trust, and belief are required when there is a gap between what you are certain of and what you are uncertain of. And when there's a, a gap of uncertainty there, that's where you have to place faith and trust. Now, you know the rest of the Christmas story. You know how it turns out. And it's really easy for us to read through this and just go, oh, yeah, well, Mary, of course you should do that because it all turns out amazing. And here's what happens and on, on, on. Mary didn't know the story. It hadn't been written yet. And by making this choice to step into this uncertainty, you know what she was doing? She was creating additional uncertainty in her life. Because guess what she had to do next? She had to go to her fiancé, Joseph, and say, hey, I got something I need to tell you. So I had this unusual experience. This angel showed up and uh, told me the Messiah's coming. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, here's the piece of it, though. Like, We're going to have the Messiah. Really? That's incredible. Everybody's been, yeah, yeah, but... I'm already pregnant with the Messiah. Oh, oh, so you're pregnant and you didn't cheat on me. You're pregnant. You're just on your own. You got pregnant. Yeah. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? I mean, Mary had to know in that moment the odds of Joseph believing were slim to none. This was going to shape and impact the rest of her life, the rest of her world. But she stepped into the uncertainty and the mystery and the doubt. And said, I'm just going to keep following. I'm just going to do the next right thing. I'm just going to believe while I hold on to this wonder and this mystery. And sure enough, Joseph responded like you would expect him to. He didn't believe her. He said, I don't want to embarrass you in front of everybody in the town, but this marriage is off. And Gabriel has to show back up and talk to Joseph and say, oh, no, no. You know that crazy tale she told you? Actually, it's true. I'm here to verify that. So you shouldn't divorce her. You should stay with her. You shouldn't end this thing. You should go ahead and finalize the marriage. Now Mary and Joseph together, imagine this, have to step into another level of uncertainty as they begin to share with family and friends in this small town. Yeah, we're getting married. Oh yeah, Mary is pregnant. Oh no, no, no. It's not my baby, Joseph says. Can you believe? Can you imagine what that must have felt like for them in a little town, can, can you imagine who would possibly believe them? There was a lot of uncertainty and doubt and fear and wonder in the middle of it. Nine months passed, and then Joseph has to take a trip to Bethlehem, and maybe to be with Mary, or maybe because he didn't want to leave Mary alone in a town with a bunch of people who've drawn some conclusions about her that aren't very favorable, he takes Mary with him and makes a long trip from Nazareth up in the northern part of Israel all the way down to Bethlehem in the southern part of Israel. And she's on a donkey and they get to Bethlehem and Mary says, it is time and they can't find a place to birth this baby except around a lot of animals in a stable or wherever those animals were. And the Savior of the world, God in human flesh, is birthed and placed in a manger. You know Mary and Joseph are sitting there going, are you kidding me, God? 
out of all the places that you would come and enter this world, you wanted to do it here. How about somewhere a little nicer? How about somewhere that's going to catch people's attention? And they'll go, yeah, that's where a God should be born. Now we've got to tell people, oh, yeah, it wasn't, we didn't have sex. No, 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 it was a virgin birth. And yes, that is God in human flesh. You know, the Yeshua, the Jesus, you've all been naming your sons after. Well, ours is the real one. And he's going to save all of our people from their sins. But yes, oh, by the way, the Messiah was born in a manger. I mean, who's, it just introduces more uncertainty and fear and doubt into the equation. And then as if that wasn't enough. As they're sitting there trying to figure out how they're going to explain this to people. Shepherds show up. And they show up going, hey, there's some angels who showed up to us and told us what was going on. And that the Messiah was being born. Told us exactly where to go. So we're here and we're celebrating and... Mary and Joseph are going, well, that's exciting. On one hand, that's confirmation. But on the other hand, of all the people you could have chosen in Israel, God, you decided to tell this only to shepherds. Shepherds were at the bottom of the social order. Shepherds were lightly, and that's modest, lightly respected by people. God, you couldn't have told this to the king. You couldn't have told this to our high priest. You couldn't have told this to the religious leaders. You couldn't have told this to somebody who has a little more credibility. You had to tell this to shepherds. And now we have all of this uncertainty and wonder and fear and doubt and mystery surrounding this. As Luke writes this account, and you're familiar with it, as he writes this account, he gets to the end, and maybe you haven't paid much attention to the last line that wraps up this portion of the account. But here's how, what he says about Mary. Here's what he tells us about her, and I think he got this directly from her. In the midst of all the uncertainty, the mystery, and the doubt, he says this, but Mary treasured up all these things. All what things? All the good things? Yeah. But all the fear too, all the doubt, all the uncertainty, all the mystery. Mary just treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. This was Luke's way of saying. Mary didn't allow the uncertainty and the mystery to paralyze her. She just said, you know what? I don't have answers and explanations for all this. I've got information, but there's still gaps. I've got clarity, but there's still uncertainty. I've got knowledge, but there's still mystery. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pick up all that mystery and uncertainty and doubt and fear, and I'm just going to keep following, and I'm going to just carry it along with me because I can believe and still wonder, and I can wonder and still believe. So here's my question for you. Here's where, where I think this is so practical and helpful for us. Maybe you're like Mary. Maybe you're at a point right now where you've got to decide if you're willing to pick up all the mystery and uncertainty and doubt and fear in your life and go ahead and carry it with you and take a step. For some of you, you've been thinking about the fact that you should explore who Jesus is. You've kind of been kicking the idea around, I should figure out for sure what I believe about him. I should figure out if he really is who he said he is. But you have allowed the uncertainty and the fear and the doubt and the mystery to keep you from taking the step. It's uncertainty maybe that, oh my goodness, what am I going to discover? Will I discover something that I really don't want to know? Will I discover something that forces me to say, I think I was wrong and change what I believe? And so you've tried to avoid that as best you can. You try to keep from exploring, and you just need to say, you know what, i got a lot of mystery and uncertainty and fear here. There's a lot 
that I'm wondering about. I'm just going to pick it all up. I'm going to explore anyway. I'm going to be intellectually honest enough to try to decide for myself who he is. Some of you, you've been exploring for a while, and you get right to the verge of putting your trust or your belief or your faith in Jesus and embracing this and accepting his forgiveness. You get right to the verge, and you keep backing away. And you come up with some good, rational-sounding excuses, but if you were honest with yourself, you'd have to admit, the real reason you back away is because you're uncertain and afraid of what's on the other side of that decision. It's not that you don't want to experience his forgiveness. It's not that you don't want to be a part of God's family. It's that you're just pretty sure if you say yes to that and begin following, it's going to require some changes in your life, and you don't know what those are, and that uncertainty freezes and paralyzes you. That mystery keeps you from moving. And this Christmas, you need to take a step. You need to pick up all that uncertainty, mystery, and doubt, all that wonder and fear. You just need to embrace and begin following Jesus anyway. For some of us who are followers of Jesus, we do the exact same thing. God has been nudging you to take a step, to have a conversation that you know is going to be hard, to try to restore a relationship that might lead to more hurt, to engage in a friendship that could end up in rejection, to trust God enough to honor Him and to do what He's asking you to do in some area of your life, but you don't have a guarantee of how it's going to turn out. So you won't move because there's no guarantee. And you need to pick up your uncertainty, your mystery, your doubt, your fear, your wonder. And you just need to move ahead with it. The best gift you could give Jesus this Christmas season is to pick up all that mystery and uncertainty and choose to follow and take a step anyway. It's to believe and still wonder. It's to wonder and still believe. So, here's what we want to do as we wrap up. Just a minute, the guys are going to come back out. We wanted, they're going to sing a song because we wanted to create a moment for you just to pause and reflect on what that area is, what that step is, what that decision is that maybe you need to take and you've been avoiding because of uncertainty and mystery and wonder. And in the midst of the holiday season, it can get so hectic and so busy, you can get so caught up in doing everything that needs to be done and taking care of everybody that needs to be taken care of that you miss it, that you ignore it. And we don't want you to do that. So we're going to create a moment here where I want to invite you to pause and reflect and identify where uncertainty and mystery and wonder and doubt and fear may be keeping you from moving forward. And then would you be willing to pick all that up and to say to your Heavenly Father today, you know what? I'm going to choose to believe, just like Mary, even though I wonder. I'm just going to choose to pick all this up, and I'm going to choose to take that step and follow. Take that step and explore. Take that step and trust. Take that step and obey. With all my wonder and mystery and doubt with me. Here's the thing you'll discover. What we think we value most is information. If I just had a guarantee, if I just knew what the future held, if I just knew how that would turn out, I just want more information. I want to tell you, the most valuable thing that you have this Christmas is not information, is an invitation from your Heavenly Father 
to be in a relationship with him that is personal, a relationship as a son or daughter with their dad. It's an invitation to be a part of something bigger than yourself. It's an invitation to walk with God as he chooses to walk and be with you and to follow him. Information really isn't what's most valuable. It's that invitation that's extraordinary. And there are some questions that can only be resolved, and there are some mysteries that will only be solved on the other side of you taking that step and of you choosing to follow. So will you choose to believe and carry your wonder with you? Let me pray for us. Father, I don't know exactly where this lands with each of us, but I know this. It is so easy for us to allow uncertainty and mystery and fear and doubt to keep us from following. It's so easy for us just to pause and go, you know what, until I have a guarantee, until I know, until I'm certain, I'm just not going to move. But that's not how life works. So I'm so grateful for Mary, who in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty, and Joseph in the midst of incredible mystery, still chose to follow. They still chose to trust. They still chose to believe. And we have this story today. We have an invitation from you today because they were willing to obey. So I don't know where this lands, but for those who need to take a step and explore who you are, would you help them to pick up all their doubts and just start exploring anyway? For those who are on the verge of following you, but they just haven't chosen to embrace your forgiveness, may this be the moment that they stop letting the uncertainty of what's on the other side of that decision keep them from trusting and believing. For those of us who do follow, but there's an area where we're just ignoring you, help us to obey. Not let our fear get in the way. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name.